Counsel the Word, the podcast for the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about verbal abuse. Well, I'm thankful to have with me uh, in the studio today, again, my good friend and fellow pastor, Terry Enns. And uh, Terry and I serve here together at Grace Bible Church in Granbury, Texas, and have for many years. And it's always a delight uh, to sit down for a conversation with him. Yeah. So, Terry, welcome. Thanks, Keith. It's good to be here again. Uh, now, we're going we're gonna, to uh, change things up a little bit today. Uh, occasionally, uh, Terry will take over the uh, host duties and... Uh, so we're going to do one of those podcasts today, and uh, he's going to interview me about the topic of verbal abuse. So, Terry, I will hand you the controls. Oh, great. Thanks, Keith. It's, uh, it's good to be able to, to turn the tables for once. Um, help us just understand, first of all, what is ver- verbal abuse? What, what do we mean when we use that term? What are you talking about? Yes. Uh, so verbal abuse, as I think about it, is really a chronic sinful speech pattern that particularly hurts, demeans, and tears others down. Uh, We think of the Proverbs that really um, describe what we think of today as verbal abuse. Uh, For example, Proverbs uh, Proverbs 12, 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, Mm -hmm. right? That, that, That verbal picture there. Um, Proverbs 11:9. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. 18:21. Uh, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Or uh, Proverbs 15:4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. So when we think about verbal abuse, we're, we're thinking about speech that crushes the spirit, uh, uh, that feels like um, the thrusts of a sword, and and we're not just talking about you know one or two occasions. We're talking about a chronic pattern uh, of intense, hurtful, demeaning speech. Could you maybe just give us a few examples of what some characteristics of verbal abuse and verbal speech are like? Sure. And, and this is where you know we realize, just being very honest about this topic, we we don't open the Bible and and find you know, the chapter on abuse as it's right. understood in secular circles. And uh, and we recognize that all sinful speech that the Bible would talk about is hurtful and demeaning and destructive in some way. So like, for example, Proverbs 4.29 would talk about a speech that tears down others. Uh, 4.25 in that same chapter of Ephesians describes lying and deceit. Uh, verse 31 of Ephesians 4, angry, bitter words. Uh, if we move on to the Proverbs, we think about gossip and slander that's described there or uh, manipulation as we see in a topic like uh, or in a place like Luke 10, uh, verse 40. So all sinful speech as described in the Bible is hurtful and, and demeaning in some way. But when we think about a, a, abusive speech, we're, we're thinking about a pattern, we're thinking about an intensity, a frequency. And so examples or characteristics of verbal abuse would be language that is especially manipulative or controlling. Uh, we, we think of the, the categories in scripture uh, of a sort of a self-sovereignty, you know, that, that I, you know, my kingdom come, my will be done mm. kind of attitude 
instead of a deference and a trust in God who's overall. Uh, we can think of um, bullying or threatening, angry and hateful speech, um, blame shifting, name calling, mockery, slander, criticism. Um, sometimes uh, in, in situations like this, a person may uh, do or say things like this, but they'll dismiss them as just joking or sarcasm. And in fact, there's a proverb that says, you know, was I not joking, right? Like it's okay if I'm just, you know, saying that I'm joking. Um, and, and again, just the idea of a, of a deep bitterness or resentment. And, and what happens over time as people live under that sort of chronic, uh, manipulative, controlling, hurtful, demeaning speech is uh, sometimes people begin to question, you know, their own judgment. You know, if it's really, really manipulative, it's, it's am I even understanding this situation? Often people will begin to blame themselves for the problem or perhaps they don't realize the severity of the problem. I remember uh, speaking with one person who, who had lived under this sort of speech for many years and um, uh, a friend had just happened to overhear a conversation between this person and the person who was doing the abuse. And it was utterly shocking to this friend. Yeah. But the person didn't realize the significance because it was just normal for yeah. them. Um, so uh, people, again, that, that are on the receiving end of hurtful speech like this, um, they may end up responding in unhelpful or even sinful ways as they try to you know, deal with this themselves. Uh, they, they may become discouraged or depressed. Um, they may uh, um, adopt an unbiblical view of themselves or the offender. Uh, so when we're seeing those sorts of attributes, both for the person who's doing the abuse and the person who is receiving the abuse, uh, th those would, would push uh, this hurtful speech into this category that we're calling verbal abuse. Yeah. You know, what, what, is particularly helpful to me as you're talking about that is when I think about verbal abuse, I'm typically, I'm thinking typically of things like anger and, um, demeaning language, vulgarity, profanity, that kind of thing. But you brought up, um, things like lying, deceitfulness, manipulation, and those aren't things that maybe would initially pop into our minds when we think about verbal abuse. And, and I appreciate you just kind of broadening that category out for us. The other thing you mentioned is you, you were particularly emphasizing the chronic nature of it. So if it's chronic, we're, we're going to call that a, a life-dominating sin. What do the scriptures have to say about that? How, how can we help someone who is so deeply controlled uh, by their tongue and is controlling with their tongue? How, where, where are they going to find help? Maybe both for the one that you're counseling that's struggling with the sin and maybe additional help for one who is uh, the recipient of verbal abuse. Sure. Yeah, and maybe just kind of to, to front end that, that question with this idea of what is, how do we understand verbal abuse from a biblical standpoint? I've tried to define it and give some verses, but we know anytime we're using secular terminology as Bible-believing Christians, as biblical counselors, we, we, we want to kind of hit pause for a moment and go, okay, what are we even talking about here? Yeah. Obviously, secular terms can be very helpful. Um, they can categorize many different types of behaviors under one label, and we all know what that's describing, so that can be helpful. But we need to remember that, that secular terms, especially in the counseling world, are never neutral. 
and especially when we think about abuse and all the different types of abuse, we recognize that those are not just terms that describe behavior. They have a worldview associated with them. They have some sort of secular idea of what causes those behaviors and and what to do about them even. So we want to be careful when using uh, abuse terminology and language because we want to make sure that our perspective is is biblical. Um, so again, we're not we're not saying we shouldn't use those terms necessarily, but we, we want to be careful to explain it. So when we think about verbal abuse biblically, and, and how do the Bible even approaches this? I mean, the first thing we want to say is is the obvious thing, but it's very helpful, especially for people that have received uh, this sort of speech in their lives, especially over a long period of time, and that is that that sinful speech is sinful and wrong. It's it's wicked. It's condemned by God. Uh, we think of the six things that the Lord hates mm-hmm. from Proverbs 6 and how many of them actually address um, the, the actual words, right? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue there. Um, we would also want to recognize that Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount as he's uh, recounting uh, some of the Old Testament texts and and really reminding his readers of of why God gave those commands and what they mean uh, when he got to... Uh, the issue of, of anger and, and whatnot, that, that there is an equation of that to, we might call it verbal murder, mm. that renders somebody who, who is participating in that as guilty before God. That's Matthew 5, 21 and 22. And we would want to say as well, especially to the person receiving these things, that it is never okay. It, yeah. it is never uh, honoring to God. It's certainly not good or right to speak sinfully to somebody, especially in a chronic and degrading way like that. And those who practice sin are violating God's commands, and the Bible would tell us in, in Matthew 12:36 and in Revelation 21:8, particularly that God holds people responsible for their words. Right. So, so we want to we want to recognize that sinful speech is condemned by God. We'd also want to recognize that that. Um, a, a non-physical hurt is a legitimate category in the Bible. I think this is something that, that biblical counselors, Christians, the church has, I think, grown in in a good way in recent years that it's one thing, like in a domestic violence situation, we, we, we see bruises, we see uh, broken bones, or we see when somebody has physically been abused. But listen, listen to the Bible describe an inner man hurt, an inner man pain, an mm-hmm. inner man distress. Um, I just wrote down some terms here. Uh, the Bible talks about a broken spirit in Job 17.1 or Psalm 51.17, a crushed spirit, Psalm 34.18, mm-hmm. a sad heart for Samuel 1.8. Uh, the Bible talks about pain of heart, Isaiah 65.14, a broken heart or being broken hearted, uh, the Bible describes in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, those who are afflicted or have an anguish of heart. And uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, biblical words in both the Old Testament and New Testament. But, but just one of them that uh, Paul uses in the New Testament, uh, one, one of our Greek words here, it, it literally means to cause severe emotional or mental distress. And Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians 2, 2 as something that can be inflicted. I can inflict somebody else. I can cause somebody else to have severe emotional or mental distress. 
And uh, he uses it in Romans 14, 15 to describe someone who is injured by it, to experience mm. sadness or sorrow or distress. So it, it is legitimate for Christians to say there is an internal, non-physical pain that others can inflict uh, on people that is legitimate and is real and is hurtful. And, you know, like you, I know you've counseled uh, many situations like this also where sometimes people that are under non-physical forms of abuse will tell you, you know, this is even worse, yes. you know, than, than being physically assaulted or something like that. So, mm-hmm. so the Bible legitimizes uh, what we're talking about in terms of a, of a non-physical pain or hurt that, that is being inflicted. Um, but, but I think where the Bible turns the corner, not just from saying these things are wrong or these are real categories of, of hurt, but um, how do we help somebody yeah, like that? And w- we think of Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, that God is near to the brokenhearted. And, and um, just, just think about how many times in the Bible does God say, when this happens, I'm near to you. Yes. And uh, so we would want to say to those who are impacted by verbal abuse, other forms of abuse, that, that God is near to you and, and he desires to minister to you. We would pull out a Psalm 147, verse 3, that says that God is able to bring a, a healing to the brokenhearted, a spiritual healing. And we, we read that carefully. We're not talking about psychological healing and, and, and some of the other systems uh, that exist in the world. What we're talking about is is the creator God through the person and work of Jesus and and the resources we find when we turn to him is able to actually minister to that pain, to that hurt that that is, you know, what we just read. It can actually happen to people through things like verbal abuse and God is able uh, to minister and, and even bring healing to those sorts of situations. What a great encouragement for people that yeah. have been just beat down and... and Discouraged, and they feel like there's no hope for them. And and we know, uh, as Isaiah alluded to the coming servant, who is the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, in Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, that that healing comes through the person and work of Jesus. Um, and uh, so, so we're encouraged by that. Speaking of Jesus, um, it would not be inappropriate to say that based on the narratives of the Bible, we would recognize that Jesus was actually a recipient of what we think of as verbal abuse today. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Peter tells us, though he was reviled, okay. he did not revile in return. He suffered, he uttered no threats. He's called the man of sorrows in Isaiah 53.3. And so I think that um, when Jesus says, for example, in Hebrews 4, um, uh, come to me, right, for mercy and grace to help. He's a sympathetic high priest. He's experienced our weaknesses. That that person who's experienced verbal abuse can come to Jesus, and Jesus in his humanity now, not just in his deity, but in his humanity, can sympathize and relate to that person who has been abused and is able, as the text tells us, to give mercy and grace to help. And then maybe one final thing in, in terms of how the Bible comes at this is just that uh, the Bible would remind us that there are God-ordained civil authorities that are there to intervene in extreme situations where a person is in danger or is being threatened. And uh, as a church, as Christians, as pastors, uh, we would want to uh, encourage somebody to utilize those resources of protection when they are appropriate. 
and uh, that that's one way that God provides sort of a common grace provision uh, for those that are that are struggling. A couple of questions come to mind. One is someone who has experienced verbal abuse uh, it, at such an extreme level, it often changes the way they think about themselves and, and not to build up self, self-esteem. That's not what I'm talking about, but God has equipped them in particular ways, given them spiritual gifts and that, and that all gets diminished. And so I was talking to someone not too long ago and, uh, I was just asking her about a situation. I said, you know, what, what happened? Why'd you do that? Oh, I guess I'm just stupid. And I said, well, wait, 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 time out. What would make you say that you're stupid? Well, that's what she's hearing in her context yeah. uh, from her family members. So how do you how do you address that? Help them think rightly about their own situation when they're being demeaned, beat down, criticized, um, and and that becomes, in a sense, uh, how they think of themselves. Yeah, yeah that that sadly is a common problem. Um, the way I would want to go about trying to help somebody, so if you're listening to this and, and you're trying to help somebody who is experiencing verbal abuse or maybe someone who's come out of that and they're trying to just you know, grow and, and, and move on from that, uh, I, I try to help people by coming at it in, in three particular ways. We want to help the, the victim of abuse to deal with her own heart and hurt. We want to help her to deal with the offender, and we want to help her to deal with the broader situation. And your question really goes back to how is she thinking about herself? Um, one of the things that happens in abuse situations is often there is an isolation so that that person who's living under the abuse is limited from being around other people, or if they are around other people, it often is is very superficial, and, and people that would inflict this form of abuse often are trying to control that part of the environment. So, so uh, the need for the church community to surround mm, someone like that and to speak truth into her life, not just about herself, although that's that's what you're talking about, you know, thinking about herself accurately, but thinking about God, thinking about the gospel, thinking about her offenders, thinking about her children, thinking about you know the broader situation there. You know sometimes uh, people that have been under abuse uh, struggle to to think rightly. They they might think things like this. You know if if I was just a better wife, he wouldn't treat me like this. Or uh, he was just having a bad day. Or he's stressed. Or you know all couples fight. We're just fighting. You know and and, and this is just normal. And and so those are the sorts of things where we have to help her to live Second Corinthians ten five. It's so so crucial that we help her to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and and to renew her mind, uh, Romans 12, to in the scripture to think about herself in a way that is biblical, a way that is accurate. And that that includes uh, thinking rightly about herself, her gifts, her abilities, um, her intellectual capacity, if if those things have been, um, you know, subjects of of, uh, demeaning Mm -hmm. uh, by the abuser. Um, so so that, that would be, I guess, the thing I would want to say is helping her to take her thoughts captive, but then surrounding her in a church community where people are speaking the truth and love to her. And I think over time, that begins to reshape, or the biblical word is renew your mind mm-hmm. um, to where she's thinking more biblically about herself. Most of our discussion so far has been about uh, helping the person that's been the object of verbal abuse. How do you help someone... Uh, who is ensnared with that sin, they're 
I'll, I'll say trapped um, in, in that they just feel like they can't do anything else. And, and let's just say it's a believer and, and they, there's a clear testimony, but there's also a clear pattern of verbal abuse. How are you, how are you going to help that brother or sister uh, to conquer that life-dominating sin? Well, I, I think that's a very uh, strategic opportunity that needs to be handled carefully and with wisdom. Um, it's essential, first of all, um, that that person be surrounded by uh, brothers, assuming it's a guy, uh, brothers in Christ that can implement what Paul Tripp calls intentionally intrusive accountability, Mm. asking hard questions, being around him, evaluating the situation. I think if, if he's claiming to be a believer, and I assume that means he's made some sort of repentance commitment, that we would want to see that, um, lived out fruit from that repentance. We, we think of, uh, what uh, John the Baptist challenged to some of his, uh, uh, hearers in Matthew chapter three, that they should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, meaning it's not enough to just say you repent, right? We want to see right. evidence of that. And, and of course we would be turning to a passage like Galatians chapter five, uh, looking for that fruit of the spirit, which I think is, is another way of describing the evidence of repentance, the fruit of repentance. Um, do we see that? Do we see that over a period of time? Uh, you know, depending on severity, um, you know, this may be an occasion where uh, there may, may need to be some separation put into place. Um, if this has been a chronic, serious, uh, very, very difficult situation, or, or maybe it's a situation where um, it's more mild uh, in in, um, in the situation, but nonetheless, we would want to make sure that uh, there is growth and change and repentance. So I think, again, surrounding um, uh, this person with brothers in Christ who can, who can be there, who can evaluate, who can speak truth, um, I think there needs to be consequences to that. Um, so if, uh, for example, children have been involved and um, you know, the children have been the recipients of that verbal abuse, um, you know, how much should that man be around his children? What does repentance with his children look like? What does rebuilding trust with them look like? And, and those are things that I think go slowly and they need to go wisely. Um, and, and with that, um, I, don't, I don't think that this is a situation that we're not thinking about a church discipline scenario also where um, sadly, typically in a situation like this, uh, you have... Uh, people that say that they're repentant and they go right back to their sin. And uh, so uh, a commitment to church discipline to bring uh, another person involved and, and if necessary to tell it to the whole church and just to walk through that Matthew 18 process, um, you know, that there needs to be uh, loving consequences when there is not repentance for something like this. Um, and, and again, um, my friend Jim Neuheiser has an article on his website, uh, jimneuheiser.com, where he talks about five different phases for somebody who has been separated from their spouse because of abuse. There is repentance. There is fruit. Everything's looking very good. What does a, what does a wise phasing back into sort of normality of family mm. life look like? So, again, that article by Jim Neuheiser could be very helpful there. But, but those are some thoughts on, on getting Good. to the... That, that's really uh, helpful. And, uh, and you're actually helping me to transition to another question, and that was maybe you could point us to some resources that would be helpful 
Um, to my knowledge, there's not a ton that's been written on verbal abuse, at least in that category. I know uh, I have a friend of mine that's across the table from me that's uh, working on a pamphlet or booklet uh, on this topic, and maybe uh, you can tell us about when that booklet will be out that you're working on and then maybe some other resources that would be helpful to us. Yeah, you're right. That There's not a whole lot specifically on verbal abuse that's solid available there. Um, there are some resources that are going to touch that. So I think uh, Jim Neuheiser has a talk, speaking of Jim Neuheiser, on the uh, ibcd.org website called Overcoming Abusive Speech, and uh, that's a great resource. It's an audio resource there. Um, uh, in the, um, the book uh, written by, um, edited by Elise Fitzpatrick called Women Counseling Women, uh, there is an article in there called Healing for Hidden Wounds from Verbal Abuse written by Deborah Gentry that's very good. Um, and then thinking about um, sort of a classic on biblical communication, Paul Tripp's War of Words, and um, Lou Priolo's pamphlet on manipulation, which is very helpful for both the person who's doing the manipulation, the verbal abuse, as well as those receiving it. Um, and then David Pallison's booklet called Why Me? Comfort for the Victimized. All of those are going to be good. Uh, good resources there, and and I hope to make a contribution to that, Lord willing, in the near future. Good. Do you have an idea when that will be out and who's going to be publishing it? Uh, no news just yet, so we'll, we'll hear about that hopefully soon. Okay, well, we'll make sure to put it on the podcast okay. or on the, uh, the uh, blog post uh, when that comes out. And I, I really appreciate your... Time helping us think through something that probably is a pretty common problem um, in in all kinds of relationships. I, I think you've alluded particularly to marriage kinds of relationships, and uh, and and I appreciate how you're thinking in biblical terms uh, and what you've said this this morning has been particularly helpful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Counsel the Word. For more information about the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, you can visit us at our website at thecbcd.org.